Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today's guests are from the iconic series, The Sopranos. It's Michael Imperioli and Steve Sharippa, who you might know from their roles as Christopher Moltisanti and Bobby Bacala, respectively. They host the wildly popular podcast, Talking Sopranos, where each week they discuss a single episode of The Sopranos while sharing stories and behind-the-scenes moments along the way. We talk about their podcast, the legacy of James Gandolfini, and Michael explains what it's like to be a writer and actor on the show. I should note that this interview was recorded in early July. Okay, so um, uh, uh, Steve and Michael, I am so excited to talk with you guys, and we're going to mostly talk about your new podcast, Talking Sopranos, but I just want to start because part of the, I think, appeal of this is the time during which this is happening, which is during the pandemic, but how are you both holding up with everything going on? Well, you know, uh, I was in New York, you know, when it started. I was working, you know, I'm on Blue Blood, so I was... Shooting, we got shut down on March 13th, and then uh, the whole city got shut down on the 15th. And uh, it was tough, you know, uh, in the apartment. I, I knew numerous people that, both of us have known numerous people that have passed away and uh, and got sick. I'm out in California now. It's a little easier just because you have more space. You're not on top of each other. But uh, these are rough times, man. Rough times for everybody. Yeah, and originally we were going to do this. We were scheduled to record at the end of March in a studio in the East Village in New York. But in the middle of March, you know, everything changed in the world, and we weren't going to do the podcast at all until things got back to normal. Figuring, you know, it's too depressing. No, but who wants a podcast in the middle of all this? And and then both Steve and I got a lot of incoming messages on social media in particular saying, hey, we're in quarantine now and we're binge watching The Sopranos and we heard you're doing a podcast. Where is it? Uh, a lot of messages like that. So we um, found a way to do it in, uh, in-house in and uh, and that's what happened. Well, I also wonder, as both you guys are, are working in the industry, how do you think this is going to change the way things are filmed or recorded in the next coming year or so even? There's got to be a lot, a lot of changes. And I, I understand... Uh, like during the setup, one crew will come in and then they'll leave. Then another crew will come in. It's going to be much less workers. I don't know how they're going to get around two actors being close to each other talking, but it's going to be different. That's for sure. I just hope it's up and running. I just hope it finally gets up and running. I'm sure whatever changes need to be made, everyone will get used to, but uh, I just hate for it to start and then shut down again, you know? So I, I, my fingers are crossed. Yeah, of course, there's going to be a lot of changes. It's going to be an adjustment for hopefully not so long a time, but it may be a long time. But I just hope eventually this will be a thing of the past and a memory and we'll get back to, you know, going to work like we always did. I hope so. Well, I mean, I think that's interesting jumping back in Sopranos because a big event that happened in the middle of that show was 9-11. And I can't help but think how that reverberated around the world. Obviously, there is a big difference with this pandemic. As you're watching back through The Sopranos, does memories of the productions and stuff come back to you? I know, um, Steve, I think I've read somewhere, it's probably the first time we've rewatched these episodes since they aired. Yeah, yeah. There's both of us. We haven't uh, seen it in, uh, I haven't seen it in 20 years, you know, from the beginning. 
for sure. It's all new. It's, a, it's very bittersweet. We're up to episode uh, 16. I think we just finished 16. It's bittersweet. A lot of people are no longer with us. Uh, obviously, Jim Gandolfini, Nancy Marshawn, and, and, and numerous actors are no longer with us. So it, as great as it is to see and uh, as much fun it is, it's also a little bittersweet there. Uh, we haven't gotten to the 9-11 stuff yet, but uh, Michael lived down there in Tribeca. I was living close by, but I wasn't in New York City at the time. But that was tough times, uh, of course, and it's, it's still in, in our memory. I, I don't know how this compares, but uh, I'm not going to make that comparison, but they're both terrible, you know, right out there. Yeah. yeah, they are both terrible. I mean, we were just about about to go into production. I don't remember, you know, where we were with The Sopranos. I mean, it might have been in between seasons. I don't really remember, but I remember feeling like, obviously very depressed and just like, you know what, in the midst, who needs a TV show in the midst of all this suffering and, and, and death and, and just difficulty, which, you know, kind of felt, uh, the, the, the one big difference is, you know, 9-11, there was a certain finite shape to it. Um, it happened, you know, we had to be vigilant about if it was going to happen again. And then, you know, there, you know, there, there was a lot, but this thing is just so much more open-ended, like, where does it lead? Where does it go? When does it stop? How far does it go? I mean, and um, it's uh, obviously much more of a worldwide thing, but um, they're both pretty awful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe on more of a transition up note, um, uh, I think the last episode that's at least on our phones right now is the season two premiere. And you guys go through that. And I, Steve, I think your character premieres on the next episode. And I'm curious... What was it like rewatching that first episode of you, your view being on The Sopranos? You know, it was it was odd. First of all, I don't like to watch myself ever. Uh, and back then, I was, uh, you know, though I had acted uh, for sure, but I was I was green, you know. But it brought back all these memories. I had a fly. I was living in Las Vegas at the time. I flew myself out, put myself up in a hotel. I had to take a, a hotel shuttle to the set because they wouldn't pick me up. Uh, I was on my own dime, you know, I, I was paying my own way, man. I mean, that, it wasn't very much money. Uh, I was doing it in for the long term and I was only guaranteed one episode. So I didn't know where this was going. My agent actually told me to turn it down because they weren't going to guarantee me anything, but it brought me back all those memories of like the night before. And then when I got to the set and not that I was nervous because I was prepared, just that I didn't know anyone. Uh, I had never worked in New York, even though I grew up in New York and Brooklyn. I had been living in Las Vegas for 20 years, and I, the work that I did was in Vegas or in Los Angeles. So I didn't know anyone. So it's kind of like that first day of school thing. I didn't realize at the time the pressure, you know, maybe that's a good thing. It's obviously a good thing. So, you know, if I would have screwed up, you're gone. But Obviously, I must have did something, right? Because I continued on. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm wondering, like, as you guys are going through these episodes, is there, it seems like there's so many things that you guys, you're obviously sharing with us, the fans, but also things that are kind of surprising to you. And I'm wondering, what's one of the more surprising things you've learned by doing this podcast? A big surprise was uh, how a whole 
new generation of fans have become obsessed with the Sopranos and, and people like in their late teens and early twenties and late twenties. And, and, uh, they were not even born some of them, uh, when the show was first on the air. And that's been a big shock and a pleasant one because you never know, you know, I mean, it, we always had our fans that watched it when it was first on the air and had soprano parties on Sunday nights and made pasta and ordered pizza, whatever they did. And they kind of grew older with us. And Steve and I and Vin, Vinnie Pastor have done a conversation live show on stage in the U.S. and Australia, you know, over the years. So we've we've met a lot of our fans. Um, but this year, I really was made aware that there's this whole young generation that's discovered it and have become rabid fans. And that's been a big surprise. You know, uh, the thing that gets me while we're doing the podcast, Michael, I, I watch it much more as a fan. I'm not as deep a thinker as Michael. Now, Michael wrote five episodes, so I have a lot of questions for him. <laughs> uh, you know, and he answers most of them and things that I never thought of things, you know, Melfi and Antonia wearing the same colored shirts and what the picture on the wall means and what this song means. So to me, uh, it's, I'm finding out all kinds of new stuff. It's fascinating. Uh, like I said, I watch it as a viewer. You know, that happened, that happened. And, and now he's kind of got me thinking a little bit more. I, I watch a little more closely. So that's, what I'm learning with the podcast, I'm learning so much more besides the behind the scenes stuff. Some I knew, some I didn't know uh, the stories, but every every podcast, it's something different, something I knew nothing about. I would say one of the things I really love about the podcast is it's there's this like relaxed, informative tone that's just so compelling. And I'm wondering if there was a similar tone on set when you guys were filming The Sopranos or did that change or what was the tone on set and how did that change over the course of the show? And the tone was always one of um, camaraderie, I'd say more than anything else. A lot of us knew each other before The Sopranos from other, from theater, independent film, movies in New York. And uh, uh, I knew a lot of the actors so that the, and the people I didn't know, we became, you know, fast friends. So there was always that feeling. I mean, I say, I always say doing the acting on Sopranos was like walking down the corner and hanging out with your friends every day. And it really had that feeling. Um, you know, I, I mean, we're just on the podcast. It's just Steve and I trying to really be, have a conversation as two friends. And I think people are responding. I, I've heard from some fans who say, oh, I put it on at night before I go to sleep and it comforts me, which I find a little bit surprising. <laughs> I don't know, I, but that's nice. If it does, uh, great. Listen to it and go to sleep. I mean, if that's if it makes you feel kind of comforting, I think for a lot of people, the show is a nostalgia. Maybe they think back to when they first watched it. Maybe it was a simpler time. Maybe they were around family members that they're not so in contact with anymore or passed on. And and, and a lot of people have you know a fond nostalgia about the show. I want to jump into you guys are uh, Steve. You referenced the costumes earlier, like the matching costumes, stuff like that. The costumes are so amazing. And rewatching some of the episodes uh, to listen to your to prepare for your podcast, in a sense, um, it just dawns on me just how amazing they still are. Um, is there a favorite costume that either of you had during the course of the show? 
Uh, I mean, I did, my clothes were great, but Bobby had some great, ugly, horrible <laughs> shirts. And uh, I wore a fat suit, you know, the first two seasons. So I wasn't that fat. So there was clothes to fit that stuff. I have quite a bit of the clothes in my garage. Uh, I have the clothes where I was shot in and I have the choo-choo train hat. I've got, I've got some of the, the stuff uh, from the set, but, you know, but there's Instagrams about the Soprano style. And, uh, you know, of course the wonderful shirts that every fat guy wears, you know, Tommy <laughs> Bahamut, Matt Nast and, and those kind of things. And I remember Jim used to say to me, uh, if we were going somewhere, like you're, you're wearing a suit. Or, or the uniform. I said the uniform, which was, you know, just a T-shirt. I think men and women, the costumes are great. I love the jogging suit. I have a jogging suit downstairs, which, believe it or not, are kind of making a comeback. Velour jogging suits. <laughs> they are. <laughs> yeah, we actually have the costume designer, Juliet Polska, coming on as a guest on the podcast in an upcoming episode. Uh, and she goes into detail about all of that. Christopher had some great duds i mean really kind of cool suits and sports jackets um we did an episode we recorded an episode recently and i wore the jacket on the podcast because we film it for youtube so i wore the jacket that i wore in the episode on the podcast this uh, armani pinstripe olive green thing that's pretty cool and uh juliet polska the, the customer had told us that tony sirico she had a uh, a lot of what she picked out for Paulie Walnuts to wear had to do with how much it would mess up his hair. So, uh, <laughs> his hair. That was a factor in there, you know. So pullovers were a no-no, I guess. Huh? <laughs> yeah, half sips. Turtlenecks, no, no, no good. <laughs> um, obviously, uh, James Gandolfini is no longer with us, and I I'm wondering as you're rewatching the show, what's going through your mind seeing him, or and your heart as you see him play Tony Soprano. I'm reminded what a uh, just amazing performance he delivered for the show. Um, and I knew that, but just being reminded on, on just how great it was and how much uh, we miss him, how much I miss him as a friend. And we had a lot of good times together. And, and um, I acted with Jim more than I've acted with any other person and probably more than I ever will act with another person. So um, And I'm very grateful for that. Listen, I've been doing this now for 20 years. You know, I mean, uh, you know, making a living for 20 years. I, I, I feel anyway. I hope I know uh, a little bit more than I did back then. And to see the stuff he does, uh, all in one scene, how many emotions and uh, and like uh, Michael said, we had a lot of laughs, man. More laughs than we probably should have. A lot of fun. The Soprano cast. We traveled a lot together. Uh, we did a lot of appearances, casinos and places in Florida, and we, we traveled quite a bit. At award shows, Emmys, SAG Awards, yeah. I mean, you know, quite a bit as a group, and there's a lot of stories and a lot of laughs. And, and we talk about stuff on the podcast, you know, stuff that no one could possibly know unless you were there, and uh, uh, we had a lot of fun. Yeah, there was a bit of a, a Rat Pack type vibe, you know, when we were all together traveling, you going to casinos or premieres or award shows or whatever. There was very much that kind of camaraderie around it. I think we drank more than the Rat Pack. There's no way. No way <laughs> not to drink more than you or me. No way. 
um, I think, and uh, I've heard you guys talk about uh, Jim in other interviews and um, about how he was a much different person than the role he played as Tony Soprano. And I'm wondering, what was it like witnessing him going into that role and coming out of it? You know, I know at the beginning of the seasons, after he had been away for it, whatever the amount of time was, uh, sometimes six months, sometimes a year, I remember he, he, he said to me, let's go down a little Italy and, and, and have dinner. He said, I want to start getting back into that world a little bit, you know, where there's those kind of guys around. So he did that. He, he With all of his roles, he prepared a lot. If he was playing a cop, he would ride with the cops. Uh, he would do quite a, quite a bunch of research. You know, I, I don't know coming in and out of it. I, I know at times he had to be angry a lot. And he had to throw things, and I know that got to him a little bit. Killing people, yelling at people, fighting. I know at times that that, you know, after working a 16-hour day every day, 17-hour day, uh, I think that kind of got to him, to be honest, having to be that guy all the time, you know? I mean, definitely when you're doing stuff that's being angry or being upset, you know, you kind of carry over a mood and stuff, but it was never like... I never saw people kind of just, you know, confusing the character for who the actor or anything like that. I mean, the lovely thing about Jim was that he was the, you know, the lead actor. He acted more than anyone else on the show, but he was not, he didn't behave like the star. You know, he was more, I, I always say it was more like the team captain, you know, and he was very much concerned with everybody, all the actors and all the crew people, you know, being treated with respect and having a positive experience. Uh, it's just like I get I get shivers of you guys talking about that because again I think for I've seen him in other movies uh, and plays but it's just interesting he's just so that perfect like glove fit as as that role. So the name of our podcast is called I'm So Obsessed, and I'm curious what are each of you so obsessed with right now? Um, I'm obsessed with Donald Trump not becoming president again, to be honest. <laughs> Watching too much news and just getting disgusted with the state of things right now, I mean, to be honest. You know what I'm obsessed with? And it's not something new at all, but when I was, I just finished reading a biography of the Allman Brothers, man. And for some reason, I just haven't listened to the Allman Brothers. I was the biggest fan in the 70s. It's one of the first uh, that I bought. And uh, I've been listening almost nonstop uh, on Pandora to all Allman Brothers stuff and uh, live at the Fillmore East in 1971. And for some reason, the last few weeks, that's all I've been listening to. Uh, and it'll go away and then I'll listen to something else. But right now I'm obsessed with the Allman Brothers. All right, so you both have done a bunch of amazing films, amazing TV shows. Uh, you've written books, but you guys will always be known for The Sopranos. I'm wondering, is that something you've always embraced? It's very hard in show business to be remembered for anything, I find. Most actors are not, you know, they they they, they don't get that opportunity. And for me, if there's one thing I'm going to be remembered for, and it's The Sopranos, I'm really proud of that show and the work we did and, and the fact that people are still discovering it and still, you know, loving it. And I'm very happy that that... I'll always be associated with it. Coming off the show, you know, you're the the Italian gangster, right? I mean, let's not get me let's not get me wrong. I'm not playing an English professor. My size, <laughs> my looks, my voice, I get it. Uh, I, it is what it is. Uh, 
so so some of that you run up against. Oh, you know, every guy with a vowel at the end of his name, here they go. They get, you know, and that guy, which in real life, I'm nothing like Bobby Bacala. Not even a little bit. Not that he was a bad guy, but that's just not me. I, you know, more people know me as Bacala than as uh, Steve Sharippa. They also know me now as Anthony. Abed Marco from Blue Bloods. It doesn't bother me if you call me Bacala. People all over the world know me as that. People watch the show. I'm okay with that. And it was a once in a lifetime situation. It put all these actors together. We became close friends. Uh, you know, I had an eight year run on the show or whatever it was. And uh, it's not coming around again. That's a once-in-a-lifetime thing, being part of The Sopranos, and I'm extremely uh, proud of it. You know. And, Michael, besides also appearing in the show, you actually wrote episodes of Sopranos. What was it like making that shift from your character to writing for all the characters? After we shot the first season, during, during shooting the first season, I fell in love with the show. You know, I, I wasn't really – we shot the pilot in 97, and then it was a whole year till we shot – and we got picked up and shot the rest of the first year. And I wasn't sure what the hell it was from the pilot, to be honest. I mean, I liked it. I liked the cast. I didn't really see the scope of what it would be. So during the sh- shooting the first season, I really fell in love with the show. I lo- it got, kept Every script was better and better and more deeper and more complex. And I, I loved the cast. I loved all those actors. So I had already been writing. So between seasons, I wrote a spec script and gave it to David. And then a movie that I'd co-written came out at the same time, and David went to see it. And then, um, you know, he said, well, actually, a lot of what's in your script we can use in an episode for season two. But it was, you know, for me, I never found any conflict. It was just, a, you know, a separate thing, but very gratifying, very hard. I think the spec script was a lot easier than actually like becoming part of the team and integrating, you know, season outlines into episodes and all that stuff. But uh, very, you know, writing is really hard in general. But uh, it was a great experience. And Steve, um, in the podcast episode that's out currently, uh, it's the beginning of season two, and you both are talking about uh, like odd jobs you guys had kind of before you got regular work. Uh, as actors and specifically Steve you talk about <laughs> you have had like it seems like every odd job clam clam opener chimney sweep bouncer working for wise guys of the garmic district and I'm wondering for each of you what is the worst job you had I tell you the hardest job was being a bouncer in Vegas it wasn't the worst job because there was a lot of good perks to it but I would go to work at one at night to nine in the morning or 11 at night to 7 a.m. And when I would leave work, the place was packed. You know, it was absolutely packed. I mean, nobody was going home at 9 a.m. They were going till noon. And there was a lot of crazy people, uh, a lot of drugs at that time. It was the early 80s, a lot of fights. Uh, so when you're putting that tuxedo on every night, uh, you're in the mirror putting your bow tie on, you're going... Oh, you know, what the hell is going to happen to me tonight? You know, and I had many fights and broke my hand and gotten hit and all kinds of stuff. So that was the hardest job. I don't know if it was the worst job, but uh, it was good money. And I stuck with it because of that. But it was a very scary job that I would not want my kid to do or would I ever do again. Um, the worst job I had, I spoke about it on the podcast. I was doing phone market research which was just just a terrible job. But, you know, when I started out, 
as an actor, you know, you, you, you want to, um, it's so hard to get started, you know, and there were a few jobs in the beginning that I just took because I was, I got them. And somehow there's nothing worse than a, you know, a really bad acting job, you know, when it just goes against everything, all your interests, and it's just the people are, and the, you know, the, the work is, and it's, uh, I had a few of those and there, you know, there was one thing I shot for, I'm not going to say what it is because I don't want anybody to find it. And it was just like, and we shot it on the streets of, of Manhattan, which is even worse because people are watching you do it as you're doing it. It was just the worst material. Yeah. But you know, but every one of those jobs, acting jobs wise, you, you learn something from it. But you know, when you got to fight a six foot 10 guy, because he wants to come into the club and you got, you're the one that has to throw him out. That's a tough gig. That's a tough gig. <laughs> That's a, I think we can all agree on that. So just so you know, we're wrapping up here and I have a thing called pick one where I give you a choice and you pick one. It doesn't mean this thing is better than the other. You're more than welcome to talk it out. Uh, but I'd like to play pick one with you guys as we end, okay? All right, the first one is ragu or macaroni and gravy? <laughs> Probably macaroni and gravy. That's how I grew up. That's what I called it when I was growing up. Ragu? What are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> ragu. Uh, next one, Polly Walnut's hair wings or Grandpa Munster's hair wings? Well, Grandpa Munster originated the wings. <laughs> it never took off. You know, the Paulie Walnut Wings didn't sweep the country like the Rachel on Friends. Remember the Rachel? That swept the country. That swept the country. Or, or the Elvis Pompadour, you know. Those were hairdos that swept the country. I got to go with, I like Paulie's Wings. I agree. Next one, Law and Order or Law and Order SVU. I like SVU. Law and Order SVU. Uh, I just I I actually watch that a lot. I just find the stories on SVU just a lot more uh, compelling, and I really like Mariska Hargitay. I like her acting a lot. I think she's done a really good job with that character. I like especially when the the older ones with Chris Maloney, the two of them together, I thought were really good. You were on both, right, Steve? Yeah, I did one of each. I enjoyed them both very much. I worked with Mariska and, and uh, Maloney, and then I worked. Uh, with Jerry Orbach and Jesse Martin, and one of my favorite actors, Sam Watterson. And I got to work with him. One of my favorite, favorite actors. And uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed both of them. They were great. Okay, this last thing I have is actually not a pick one. It's just a fast question. Obviously, the character names on The Soprano are just amazing. And it's a really obvious one that comes to mind. But I'm wondering, what is your personal favorite character name on that show? Feech Lamana. <laughs> Played by the great Robert Loggia. That's that's a fantastic name, I think. That's a great name. Feach Lamana. Uh I don't know. Uh, there's Paulie and little Paulie. Right? Right. Uh you've got Bill that. Leonardo. That's a really good name. And that was David just made that up. Like, there's, I, I don't think there is people named Leotardo. I, I, I think that was, he just thought it was kind of funny. Yeah, but you know, a lot of the character names were David's family. So some of the last names were some of his relatives. 
but there were some great ones. I mean, Paulie Walnuts is a great name, obviously. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I like Bobby Bacala. It was, you know, Bacala has two meanings, right? So it's the salted codfish, but it's, it, it, and it's Bobby Bacala Bacaliri, but also a Bacala. Like growing up, if you said, this guy's a real goddamn Bacala, he's not very smart. You know what I mean? That was kind of a derogatory Italian slang. Yeah, that bacala up the street, he did ba 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 ba. So it's got a double entendre meeting. Hey, uh, Steve and Michael, I just genuinely thank you for your time and sharing the stories. And I hope more and more people watch Talking Sopranos. Thank you. Thanks, man. Nice talking to you. I want to thank Michael and Steve for chatting with me, and I want to thank you for listening. The Talking Sopranos podcast can be found on any podcast app or by going to TalkingSopranos.com. If you enjoyed this interview, take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. And if you really like this episode, please rate it. Until next week, take care.